What is up, Network? Today's podcast is supported by Bose Aviation. With over 30 years of serving active noise-canceling headsets to pilots, Bose is known for performance, quality, and reliability. The A20 Aviation headset, with 30% greater noise reduction than conventional aviation headsets, is one of the lightest, most comfortable around-ear headsets on the market. The ProFlight Series 2 builds upon the advanced technology of the original and is the most lightweight, compact, and comfortable aviation headset Bose has ever produced. To see which headset is right for you, visit Bose.com backslash aviation. Hey all, welcome back to another episode of the Pilot Network Podcast. This is a two-parter. That's right, this is the second part of my interview with Ross Frankemont, the U-2 pilot turned airline pilot turned amazing photographer. Uh, We've covered a lot of stuff already, and we're going to cover a bunch more in this podcast. Thanks again for joining us, and now on to Ross. They put the suit on that, and then um, they, they, when they put the helmet on, the helmet, they turn on the pure oxygen, and they, that starts flowing. Um, we, for most of my time in the U2, we had a, a requirement. You had to be on oxygen an hour prior to takeoff. So yeah. that, that point, you put the helmet on, um, that just changed just recently for, uh, for single-seat U2s because they've done a modification with the cockpit. Um, and uh, the cockpit's a little bit lower pressure. Um, but you still have to be on auction then, and, and uh, they'll click everything into place. They'll click, click your gloves into place. Um, and then for me, th- this was the worst part for me, every single flight. It's the ground test they do from there. And uh, so it, and I learned basically, and this actually got a little bit worse as I got older, um, but I had a little bit of claustrophobia. And... A lot of people, I, I would say a lot of the population probably has a little bit of claustrophobia. It's just you've never been in a circumstance that really triggered your claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, most Air Force pilots have, military pilots have, because you've probably got put in a box at some point mm-hmm. uh, up in a well, fun little campsite up in Fairchild. Sure. Uh, but uh, the uh, um, it's something about being closed in, and when the face seal kind of closes down, uh, and you just have this face ring around you. Um, the, uh, for me, it was, it was kind of a thing where if, if, if I started heating up, you know, when you're in the space suit, it, it's basically blocking your body's natural defenses against heating up. Normally you start heating up, your body, your skin just radiates the heat out or you start sweating and the sweat evaporates, takes the heat away. None of that can happen in the space suit. Um, so for me, like, I had to keep a good amount of, of vent air coming into the suit, kind of circulate around me. Uh, and, uh, you know, and if I did, I, w- I was fine. But there, there were some times, literally, I was just like, man, this, this is kind of agonizing. Because when they do those tests, they, they cut off all the vent air um, to test the suit for leaks. They, they will, they'll inflate the suit up. So you're literally sitting there completely inflated, uh, which basically means a lot higher pressure on you, which also means higher heat, you know, on you. And, uh, and sometimes if it's not testing right, they'll sit there and they'll like hit the little tester machine a dozen times trying to, trying to get the needle to move right. 
and I'm just sitting there just heating up and I can feel like my body temperature rise. I'm like, this, this sucks. Um, oh man. So I, I would say that, that for me, that was the worst part. Once I was over all that, it was like, it was pretty, pretty cake. Um, they, uh, they finish putting all the stuff on you. Once all the tests indicate the suit is working properly. Um, they put you in the jet. Usually you're, uh, you're going out to the jet about 30 to 40 minutes prior to takeoff, you know, so they have time to, get the seat ready. They put you in the seat. They strap you in, you know, about 15 minutes prior to take off. You're going to, uh, you're going to disconnect from, they have a portable cooler that you're on, uh, that's providing you both the pure oxygen and air into your mm-hmm. suit. They, they're going to disconnect that. And, uh, that, that could be a really agonizing couple minutes because you don't have any air from that point on. They put you on the jet, then air. You don't have any air until you get the engine started jet oh, and uh, so so you, you would be sitting there and suddenly to be a, the, the for the jet to start they, it requires a, a huffer basically to pump air in mm-hmm. uh if that broke they're like oh we'll go get we have to go get a new one and i was always like how long is that gonna take and of course they're like oh, about five minutes yeah and then you know sure it is. F- 15 minutes later like man this this sucked um but the uh you know in general you know it was they worked it was pretty good you got everything started you got all the air um, but still it was, you didn't go that much air until you're actually airborne because you know, the, the vent worked off how much air was going through the engine. So it was like a tweet. Yeah. 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 It, it was, uh, it was, it was kind of a race, you know, especially in, you know, a place like, like you and I were, uh, where yeah. we were stationed together in, in uh, um, where it can be 120 degrees and, you know, 95% humidity during the day. Um, it, it was yeah. it was kind of a race to get off the ground there because you were not comfortable until it well, happened. And you know, it's funny uh, not being in a spacesuit. Um, I'm I'm shocked that I can even remotely come to uh, the same conclusion. But in the tanker, we had a few that were pretty bad days, and I remember one day um, we were taken off. Uh, we were put on. Uh, we were holding short. And they told us that we'd have to sit there for about four. Well, well we didn't get a time, you know, the, no idea. Yeah. Uh, expect further clearance or whatever time. So we're holding short. I was his co-pilot and um, they, the, the next sector, the next country basically put a stop on anybody traversing their airspace. Yeah. We sat there for 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, I remember I, I took my flight suit down to my boots and underwear cause I was so yeah. hot. And uh, yeah. we actually, it was so hot and the air was blowing so badly uh, across the, um, uh, so in our, in the, I, we had both cockpit windows open. It felt like a blow dryer. So it was, yeah. so, it was we, were, we, were, we were devising whether we wanted to be in pain with the air blowing across us, uh, yeah. you know, 100 and God knows what degrees. Probably, it was probably 150. Like, I'm, I'm not even joking because yeah. of radiant heat off the uh, asphalt and everything else. Or yeah, yeah. Or if we wanted to just be miserable and shut the windows and stop getting the stuff blown across our face and then just feel like that where you're sitting in this space. And I mean, it's not a space suit, but it's definitely confined. So we chose to close the windows and it was, yeah, it's the same idea. Yeah. Yeah. It was miserable. It was. And the funny part was, is my, uh, my aircraft commander, um, I, I won't say his last name, but Nate, who is now a big, big shot in the air force. I hope he hears this. He, uh, he was not very pleased with what was going on. And he remember those Nokia phones that we yeah. had, Oh, they're all over the middle East. 
he took that phone and he tossed it up on the glare shield, probably somewhere in the first 15 minutes of all this going on. And we forgot about it. It was up there for the whole <laughs> night. So we got back, we took it into com. We're like, or, uh, the little com section and ops were like, Hey, we don't, we don't know if this is going to work anymore. And they go, why would you guys do it? He pulled it open and it was just goo because no. all the LCD <laughs> stuff had melted everywhere. And they're like, what did you do? Put it in a microwave? We're like, yeah. essentially, we put it in a Basically, very slow yeah. cook microwave where we were as well. God yeah. knows how many years of life that took off. <laughs> of us. But that was, so I can, I can, I can't uh, sympathize for sure, but I can empathize. I think I got those correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, and the, that is, uh, to me, that is one of the big torture things is when you start to heat up, like, for those of you, and, and I think um, maybe I'm, may, I don't want to overstep my bounds, but I, I think Ross uh, will either agree or say, yeah, he'll give a basic idea. For those of you who've ever had a full body MRI, yeah. I would say that to me, that was one of the worst ex- medical experiences I've ever had in my life. I mean, yeah. I'd rather get about anything else done um, that doesn't include dental stuff uh, than sit in a full body MRI again when you can't move and you're sweating because it is, yeah. it is really, really and then they say oh we got we got to take 10 more minutes because we missed a, something yeah and that, that happened when i was a teenager and i remember i was going i, I actually said towards the end i'm like you have can you guys let me out of here now because i was starting yeah. to lose it it was i was bad. yeah i was in there for about an hour and 20 minutes and i was like can you it felt like i was in there for a month it yeah yeah MRI, an mri will trigger your claustrophobia too definitely it's, yeah yeah so there you go. Those of you who've had a full body MRI, you are basically yeah. one step from being a U2 pilot. You, you can, yeah. If you want to keep doing that every day, you know, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. no, I, it's, it's, it's not that, it's not that bad. I mean, and, and, you know, to me the, you know, the payoff was always worth it. So, that, yeah. and that's, I was just about to say, we've, we've talked about the misery yeah, and, and the, and the pain again. And so one quick thing before we uh, get on from the pain, um, so from the time that you showed up to the squad in the day you were flying to the time that you took off that prep, how long was it? Cause you had the hour oxygen. It, it was generally a, a two hour process from showtime oh, okay. to take off. So that's, that's not the word. That's yeah. not, that's not any, that's yeah. really about the same for a lot of other. Yeah. And it, and it, you know, and a lot of it was like, especially when we're deployed, it's like, we're going to fly a 10 hour mission and work again the very next day. You had to be on this 12 hour cycle. Sure. You know, a two hour show, 10 hour mission, and then you're gone and showing back up again 12 hours later or so. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, just for the crew best thing. And usually yeah. our, our, in single, single pilot, like crew duty day limits and stuff like that, we're usually 12 hours. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I remember talking to the guys a little bit about that and how they rotated out. You know, it was like a, um, fly day non-fly but on the hook day uh and yeah. then an off day and then a fly day again it was kind of yeah. like that was the rotation yeah, or yeah. some or some iteration yeah there, there was usually some variation you got and you got on it was like just a, a rolling thing and that's how you made it to your deployment you know it's just like it was it was groundhog day typically yep. kind of on, on that rotation um and, and you know i i think for those non-mill uh pilots who listen to this um you guys out there and gals, of course, you know, I'm a Midwestern guy. Everything is guys to us in the Midwest. <laughs> I think one of the things that where, where military folks earn their spurs is through that deployment 
cycle or the some of the some of the stuff that they go through as a military pilot kind of earlier in their career and then again at the end of their career i would say are the two places where they earn their spurs as far as getting their feet wet in the aviation industry whereas the regional bubba's out there who burn uh you know gas for eight legs a day and uh you know do four four consecutive days with only 10 hours of rest in between yeah that is essentially the same thing that you do when you're deployed or a lot of us did when we were deployed. Now the deployments nowadays are a little bit different for most airframes across the the fleet. Um, Not saying they're better, not saying they're worse, not saying anything about them other than they're different. Yeah. Uh, But when I, I know when I deployed my first deployment, we flew a sortie landed and basically got, an hour and a half or two hours, whatever the legal number was of downtime before we were put right back into crew rest. So essentially we were then again, flying right on the backside. We're, we're yeah. 100% opposite to what we just did. That's what we were flying. And you do that two or three days in a row. And all of a sudden you are uh, in zombie land and, uh, yeah. and caveat of all this. And I, and I will turn it back over to Ross for the cool stuff we're going to talk about is one of my big, uh, things that, and I, I was taught this by a good friend of mine who did his uh, a master's paper on this with his buddy. Um, I'm a big fan of controlled cockpit crew, re- uh, controlled rest in the cockpit. And I think FAA should mandate it. Uh, this is one of the few times I make my own little opinion noted. Um, I think the Air Force did a great job with crew concept aircraft that co- uh, controlled rest is uh, allowable. Yeah. Um, he was a big, he's a big proponent of every 28 minutes, 28 minutes of rest. And then, uh, you do that as many times as you can during a flight, uh, to get through that cycle and you will, you'll feel really refreshed. They, they, they actually did that back in uh, the beginning of the war. Uh, I think when they were flying out of Saudi, um, and he said, you'd look at other tanker crews and they look like zombies and they were, they were pretty refreshed. So yeah. I wish that we would do that across the board in aviation because I think, and I know some people listening, oh, oh my gosh, listen, uh, it, it is okay. In fact, um, most pilots will tell you to have one guy resting and the other guy refreshed and awake is better than two folks who are two guys struggling to that are struggling to maintain, yeah, to maintain their their uh, awakeness, not wokeness. That's different, but awakeness. That, that is totally different. Yeah, totally different. So, yeah. so there's my little plug for controlled rest in the cockpit. Um, I think we should be fighting for that in the next iteration of uh, FARS that come out. But, anyways, um, yeah. Uh, Cool stuff. You too. So I have specific questions uh, first, and these are going to be kind of boom, boom, boom. You don't have to, I mean, we'll go. So um, what we know that I know there's stuff that you can't say, um, but there's most of the stuff won't get close to that. If you can't just say, Hey, uh, you know what? uh, You're too, you guys aren't cool enough. So don't worry about it. Um, So what's the high, what's the highest that you can tell us that you've ever flown? So I, I, I can legally say I've been above 70,000 feet. And that's yeah. Um, that's still pretty up. That's up there. Yeah. Yeah. So it, you know, and it, it's, it's not a whole lot more than that, but yeah, it's, that's, uh, that's neat. That's cool. Yeah. So up there, um, besides knowing, besides seeing that the earth is flat, uh, and that there's no, uh, it's bend, a flat plane that, yeah, flat plane that stretch, stretches on forever until you hit forever. the ice wall. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And then you have the, 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 the uh, walk, night walker, wait, the man, the walkers come. See, I've yeah, already forgotten yeah. because the last season was such a disappointment that I've yeah, yeah, got I it out of my mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, 
up that high, what's the, uh, what would you say the top three coolest things you've seen? Uh, Northern lights aside, because we already, you can, yeah. we can actually go see that you saw that and what that was. Yeah. Like. yeah. Three things well, besides Northern lights. Well, so, um, getting to see the, the eclipse, um, the great eclipse a couple years ago. So, oh, you were airborne when that happened. So, yeah. So, uh, and I, I have a, uh, uh, on my, on my website. So, which by the way, so if anybody, just so in case you're wondering, um, uh, I don't have to do this at the end. Well, yeah, we will. Well, but the, uh, you know, if, if, if you just Google right now, extreme Ross photography, you would find my website. So there's one, there's a picture on there. It shows the eclipse and I, it's like a composite of a bunch of different shots of the moon. Um, and, uh, or of the sun with the moon moving from it. Um, and, uh, if you click on that, it goes to a story on Air, from Air and Space Magazine that I wrote about that flight. So about the preparation for that flight and everything like that. Um, and, uh, and I actually wrote that story um, right after I flew the Northern Lights flight. And I landed in the afternoon and was up at like midnight in, in uh, England. Um, I decided to go ahead and bang that out. I banged that out on my, on my, on my phone. But, uh, you but yeah, typed an article for Air and Space Magazine on your phone? I did, yeah. So Jason was, DePue, uh, eat your heart yeah. out. Yeah. I so, just wanted to tell Jason, our staff writer, that he's got some catching up to do. <laughs> so, the, uh, yeah, so I did that on my phone. And then they wanted to publish it right away. The Air Force was kind of like, they were kind of mulling over whether they, it was going to be, they were like, oh, yeah, it's good, but let's not do it. And then, so... Eventually, when I retired, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, you guys can go ahead and publish this now. So, even though there's nothing like that in it, nothing that's like, you know, down on the Air Force. In fact, it's all pretty positive on the, you know, all the people that helped out and stuff. But um, I, I have to say, so far, Ross, we've been very positive about the Air Force. And I'm, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe I'm still employed. That's kind of why we're doing <laughs> it. But no, yeah. no, no. I, I, I ingest, uh, I mean, the opportunities it gave you. So, okay, so we got the Eclipse. Yeah. Uh, which is amazing because I mean, there was a lot of people who saw it flying just commercially. I can't imagine what it looked like from yeah above uh, flight level uh, six zero zero. So yeah, um, it's number so, two. So you know, I I, I don't know the I guess uh, one specific one of these, but seeing the sunset at night, uh, you know, or or rise. But I saw many more sunsets from the cockpit. Um, it, there's something about, uh, I don't know if it's from being in the, in the stratosphere or whatever, but the light works a little bit differently. Um, you see a very distinct, what they call the Terminator, basically the shadow of the earth. Mm -hmm. Um, the, uh, um, another thing with flat earthers would probably say isn't real, but it's, you know, literally the sun, when it goes over the edge of the earth and the, uh, it's, you see this, it's like a straight line through the atmosphere and it's like very distinct, um, so that just seeing it go from day to night up, up from up there is just one of those things. It's just phenomenal, you know, and, um, it, and I've tried to take a bunch of pictures of it. In fact, I'm working on one now that, uh, that from a few months ago, uh, before I retired, um, that, uh, uh, you know, I think will show it really well, but oh, there's, cool. some on, on my, there's some on, on my website as well. Um, but, uh, but just seeing that, I think that's, you know, uh, that itself is one of the most amazing things. Um, let's see. Number three, it, um, the, uh, 
I don't know, probably, you know, again, probably just saying just being up at night, seeing the, uh, you know, I, I would say the close, close thing between seeing the stars at night and seeing the tops of thunderstorms during the day. Um, but, you know, now that I think about combining those, one time I, on an on a operational mission, I was over top about, of about a dozen thunderstorms, and they were all probably, they were like low ones down in like the 30s, you know. Mm-hmm. Most other people are going to have to worry about, but not us. And, uh, um, and there was so much lightning going off in these clouds. It looked like I was flying over a dance floor. And it was, it was, that was one of the coolest things. Just, just, you know, and again, I like darken, darken down the cockpit, get my night vision, you know, but it was just like, there was just dance floor underneath me. It was just lightning, you know, for a hundred miles around me. Um, and, uh, and I'm just sitting out there. I'm like, I'm like, this is really cool. But if I had to eject right now, I would be so effed. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, and it was a place that had like big mountains and stuff like that. You sure. Flying, flying in it. Yeah, so, I think but, I, but, um, I might yeah. be able to pick it out of a lineup. If I <laughs> out of a, out, off of a map. But, yeah, yeah, maybe. You know, and I'm like, like, man, it, really cool to see. But man, that would really... really cool if I had to eject. Yeah. 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 For, for a lot of reasons. Um, yeah, yeah. Heck, you know, it's funny. Uh, you just gave me an idea. I'm gonna re- have to uh, make sure I copy this down. I might do a um, a podcast where I'm gonna go over ejection stories with guys who have punched. Oh yeah, I know. Cool. I know like more than one dude who's punched out of yeah. an airplane, which is so bizarre to say that that I know that. Yeah. But yeah, um, being a tanker guy too, you know, I should know anybody who's punched out of an airplane, but uh, yeah. I do. Um, so, so that. <laughs> And I mean, those are all things that we can't see as the normal aviation group and, and just folks who, who are just into aviation enthusiast types. Uh, we'll never be there, but you took a bunch of cool pictures that you guys can all see at Extreme Ross Photography. Is that a dot com or is that? Or well, what? it's it's a, it's part of a Smug Mug is the site that hosts it. So, um, okay. so, so I, the, probably the best thing is, is if you just Google Extreme Ross Photography, um, it should pop up with that okay. smug, smug mug site. Um, there's also a, uh, a Facebook group. I have a, a Facebook group that's uh, Extreme Ross Photography. And uh, I, I kind of, I, I need to work on it a little bit more to link the two where I'm, you know, things I'm posting on one go to the other and, and so forth. Well, um, and that's all. Offline, we'll talk. Uh, um, I think uh, I think I know where your next big hit's going to be where you can really get the, the business kabooming. Um, and we'll talk about that offline. Yeah. We don't need to, we don't need to waste people's time here cause they yeah. don't care about that, but, um, good. Well, we'll, we'll link some of that stuff in the show notes and, uh, yeah. hopefully uh, blow you up as much as we can. Cause I think, <laughs> yeah, I think that's some cool, I mean, honestly, as a, um, as a minor aviation buff, I, but I, I do have, uh, an affinity for the YouTube maybe because it's something that I wanted to do. Um, that I never pulled the trigger on, which turned out, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty, turned out really great for me, anyways. So I'm I'm perfectly happy knowing that maybe in the next life I'll get to uh, go fly <laughs> that. But it's uh, I'm I'm cool with I'm cool with getting to share stories from somebody else and live vicariously through what you did. So here we are at the end of the career uh, as far as the military side of the house goes, starting a new one. Yeah, and. A lot of guys have done it. I've done it. Um, I, uh, I, I've talked numerous times about, uh, to people in, in what I've done and some of the, my, uh, uh, 
consulting, man, I had a brain fart there. Some of the consulting stuff I've done. And then also just with the networking and everything else, uh, ways that I went about navigating the pitfalls and minefields, because I do have, I'm the jack of all trades, master none, flip part 135, 121, cargo, yeah. 121, you know, guard reserve, active duty, full-time, part-time, you name it. Um, so maybe I suck at everything. I think that's actually <laughs> what it is, but where it's good self-reflection. You know? It is, it is. Yeah, you know, so you, 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 you are in a field that is uh, highly specific uh, has uh, zero like it in the outside. I mean, there is, yeah. there's not, there's no even contract work that's very similar to what you guys, there's nothing like what you guys do. And you are going to take the, you're taking the the bait and you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to retirement. I'm going to call it a little bit earlier than, cause you could have kept going for a while from what I understand from the timeline. If you, you had a few more years, if you wanted to. I, I mean, I, I could have stayed, but I hit my 20. Yeah. I, I, and you know, and, for me, I think it was, uh, you know, I, I loved what I did, but you know, there's that time where you, you reflect in your life and you're like, okay, this, this is the point where I'm going to, I know I'm going to move on from that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it was an advantage that I'd made that decision a couple of years ago. So I'm going to stick it out to 20, but 20s. Um, and, uh, the, uh, I, I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm going to, pre-answer your question or whatever, but pre-answer. Uh, pre so no, the, the, uh, um, you know, uh, but for me, you know, I obviously, you know, I represent that niche of, you know, the air force that's decided to, to stay into 20. Sure. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, and so a lot of my, a lot of my journey also applies to people that separate as well, but, but, you know, knowing that you're going to retire, that comes with some benefits, you know, one, like, for me, probably the, the biggest thing is that since I knew it was coming, I knew I knew I had to prepare. And, and again, it was kind of that keeping all your opportunities open, keeping your doors open. Um, but I mentioned at the beginning, uh, you know, I I knew that one like whenever I retire, like I want to be able to join, I want to be able to retire and be with the company uh, and overlap them if I can. I want to have as much leave as I can um, built up. And, uh, you know, and so for me, it was, you know, I, I started, I, I did Emerald Coast. I started a couple of years before I uh, um, knew I was going to retire about two years. Uh, and I knew it was, I knew it was a little bit early, but that definitely, I think that that just that preparation with the one seminar, um, you know, about two years before I retired, just that kind of got at least kind of started triggering my brain into all the different things I need to start thinking about yeah. uh, before I, before I start hitting it. So I've had friends who basically just kind of pull the trigger all at once. They weren't, you know, it was great. Some of them get, get interviews right away and then they're not quite prepared for it. Um, the, uh, you know, so. Would you uh, say that, would you say that, uh, I, I know plenty of guys who, who got hired without doing interview prep and whatever. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, yeah, I, I I tell people the only reason I did it was I I don't know if I needed it, but I definitely needed to feel confident in my ability. Yeah, and for me, it was a de stressor to start prepping yeah. way early. Would you say it was uh, that doing that made the interview process for me? My interview process uh, was much more enjoyable. I actually missed yeah. the opportunity, and I was not stressed 
uh, I was not bad stressed at all in the yeah. editing process. Um, I still had stress, but I wasn't bad stressed. Would you, would you yeah. liken that same thing or were you like, yeah, no, I, I sucked at interviewing and I knew I was going to bomb it and I hadn't done it 15 years from until the U2 thing. So I needed to go and practice because I was you know, an idiot or whatever. Or was it more like I just needed to make sure that I felt prepped? I, I mean, I, I think for me, it, you know, I, I feel like a, a pretty good guy for, for going, if like if someone asked me to speak publicly in front of sure. a group or whatever, I, I feel like I can pull that off okay. But going to do the prep, it, it one, it focused me on what I need to be looking at, what I need to be thinking about. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, and it really, um, you know, and if someone had just said, hey, think up of all the cool stories you've done, uh, you know, in your flying career, that's much different than there, you know, where it's, it's like focusing, like think of, you know, here, have some things that talk about your leadership, your CRM, your, you know, and, sure. and that really, you know, and so like when I went in, like, I felt like, you know, I had a, you know, I really kind of reflected on some stuff and, you know, even in the days up to the interview, I was still thinking on stuff. I'm like, Oh yeah, I that, you know, that thing happened a couple of years ago. That was something I didn't think about, put in there. Um, and, uh, and so I think that, that starting out with that, a cut in, you know, a good bit in advance, um, you know, that definitely helped prepare me. And plus I started kind of targeting certain airlines early on. Sure. Uh, and using again, networking of friends that I know there and stuff like that to kind of start, you know, uh, at least help me out as, as much as I could. Um, you know, and I, and I, and I lucked out, uh, getting an interview about uh, interviewing six months before I was even available at the airlines and getting hired. And that made, you know, that made my stress, at least for the, all the stress, stresses that come with retirement. Um, you know, it, it, it lowered everything down dramatically. Yeah. Cause I knew, I knew I had all the leave built up. I knew that it, you know, and, and even when I interviewed and got, you know, got hired, I didn't know when I was going to have a class, but I knew, it, I knew I was going to be okay. I knew that, um, you know, even if I, you know, if I have a few months there, I can either keep working or I can, uh, you know, just be on leave until I start, uh, you know, having that stuff built up, having that preparation done, um, you know, having, I, I wouldn't say that my finances were in the best shape that, uh, that I would have wanted them to, but I definitely mm-hmm. started kind of focusing that, uh, on that, you know, it's hard with family of three to <laughs> ever say that your finances are exactly where you want them to be. Yeah, but, uh, sure. Well, I, we have yeah. talked to plenty of airline captains who are 64 about ready to retire and yeah, they've got some work to do and they don't have a lot of time to do it. in. so yeah. I, yeah, we, but we all understand that. Right. I think, yeah, I think we're also, there's a good chunk of us that are, we worry so much about it that in the end we're actually better off than we want to believe we are. It's kind of that, um, negate the positivity so much because you, you, it's plan for the worst, hope for the best um, yeah. kind of thing. I actually had a captain once say this to me and it was really awesome. I, I actually say it all the time is uh, plan for the best and hope for that. Yeah. And that was his uh, contingency plan. And I go, and I laughed cause he was saying it in jest, but it was so funny that I've used it now when I've in certain briefings, I go, so normally what I like to do in case of an emergency or, or situation that's kind of, uh, getting a little bit uh, out of control for our threat and error mitigation uh, plan is I'll plan for the best and hope for that. And people look at me like, don't you mean plan for the worst and hope for the best? I'm like, uh, nope. 
I said, that's super <laughs> negative and I don't like to feel yeah. that way. Yeah. And, uh, and I go, no, I'm just kidding. Come on guys. Like loosen up. Aviation's yeah. supposed to be fun to have some fun with it. Yeah. So yeah. But I think that's one to talk about financially. And that's something we're trying to do at TPN is, uh, in fact, uh, for those of you who are out there who are, and I, I, I don't want to discourage pilots, but if you're a pilot and you're a personal financial counselor, or, uh, I, would, I would love for you to suggest somebody that you trust who is not a pilot uh, to TPN and we could vet them a little bit and get them on here as a podcast guest and maybe write a few articles um, on the best way that uh, a young pilot specifically, but anybody in any phase of their career can go best about mitigating the, uh, the retirement pitfalls that we're going to face because let's put it out there uh, quite earnestly. Contracts are a little different than they used to be. We make uh, a really nice, healthy salary uh, if you're at one of the legacy carriers or maybe one of the big seven, if you want to call it that. But uh, insurance and retirements uh, for most of those places are, are non-existent. And for all our uh, girls and guys who have been hired from the regionals, they'll never have that military pension that some of us have. And honestly, I think there's a good chance that some of these brand new lieutenants, uh, it's going to be a way different military pension than what we're facing. And TRICARE, uh, I, 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 I don't want to be the negative <laughs> nanny in the house, but man, I, I'm, not, I'm not confident that's going to be there in 20 years when I need it. Yeah. So um, for those points and more, if somebody's out there, hears this, uh, hit me up and, uh, and I'll give you all the information at the end for how to connect with us to, to pass it along. But Ross brought up a great point that, you know, you maybe wanted to be a little bit more financially prepped for that transitional piece, that transitional period of trying to earn the job at the airline and, uh, and retire with grace from the military is, uh, another stolen line from Dave Ramsey, uh, that Matt and I use occasionally. So I think, uh, and I just want to summarize this really quick. The things that you're, you're talking about is um, de-stressing your life as you bolt from one job to the next. Um, and because it is, especially for somebody who's been in the military for 20 years, you're, you're doing something new. The, yeah. the, oh, the old way of living is over. The new way of living is coming and there's nothing you're going to do to stop it. And maybe, and, and I think hopefully uh, the pilot network, if you were part of it at that point, or if it's helped since, um, maybe it's some, uh, some kind of oft, uh, the grid membership or mentorship instead of direct, but having somebody can kind of help you a little bit, guide you through, if it's not direct, uh, a little indirect or, or going and seeking out those kind of people, whether it's Emerald coast, something you pay for or finding somebody who is, uh, is able to help you out is, it's kind of one of the best ways to do some of that. And, and then it will help you. And I think for all of us, it's not necessarily about you don't have the capabilities or the knowledge base. You need to organize the knowledge base and you need to know what you don't know. And you need to feel really confident in yourself going into that next phase. Cause what, that is what's going to get you where you want to be. Nothing, nothing else. Yeah. I, I think if you're, if you're the one of those guys that has, that doesn't mind walking into things, not knowing anything about what you're walking into, then you would be okay. But for, for the majority of people, you, you like to know what you're walking into. Sure. I think, I think if, if you just take that time, yeah, like you said, however, however you got to do it, you know, to find out that knowledge it's out there, you can know exactly what you're going to walk into when you walk into that interview or you, you know, when you start that application, 
it's it's not a mystery out there unless you let it be a mystery to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's a that's a great way to launch right into the last uh, the last piece here. Um, and this is my uh, uh, my attempt to uh, blatantly and unapologetically copy Tim Ferriss, my favorite podcaster out there. Uh, for those of you who don't listen to the Tim Ferriss show. Right after you're done listening to this one, if you got two hours to spare, pick one and go for it. They're all great. Uh, and he does not know that I even exist, but that's okay. I love his stuff, and I think everybody out there would benefit from uh, from having something like that to listen to a little more often. So uh, this is the memory items. This is Ross's chance to deliver the bold face, the memory items, the whatever you guys call it, wherever you work, uh, to everybody out there saying, hey, this is something you should do something you should read, something like this to best help yourself going forward. So the first one, number one, what is something something that our networkers and listeners should read or learn today to improve their position as an aviator or more importantly, as a person? Um, so I'm going to recommend a book. Uh, it's about 30 years old. It's called The Overview Effect uh, by Frank White. And uh, it's... Uh, the reason I'm recommending so the basic idea of this, and it kind of gets into a lot of what I've talked about and what going into being a pilot is all about and, you know, our position as being, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say looking down on the world, but having a different perspective of the world. Um, and basically this book, it's, it's a collection. He went and interviewed lots of different astronauts uh, who both have been in space on the space station and been, uh, even some of the moon astronauts uh, landed there. And it basically, it, uh, he coined this term, the overview effect, which uh, basically the further you get away from something, the bigger picture you can bring in uh, to see it, you, the more connected you feel. So pilot, you know, the, or the astronauts who were on the moon said that, you know, seeing the earth from 250,000 miles away made them see the earth in a completely different light than they'd ever seen it while they're living on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and one of the stories that kind of talks about at the beginning, it's something we could all relate to uh, as a pilot where, you know, it talks about someone sitting in, a, in, a, in an aircraft going along at 35,000 feet. And you, you look down and you see a roadway that stretches off, you know, 50 miles and you can see the whole road and you can see a car on this end of the road and a car on this end of the road coming towards each other. And, you know, a little something about about the world that those two people on the, sitting there on the ground don't know, you know, they're going to meet at some point, they're going to pass by. Um, it's, and it's just kind of a little anecdote, you know, we get to see the world, you know, from a different perspective and, uh, the, uh, and it should help kind of, you know, it kind of reading that from what the astronaut said. And, it, and it's something that was pretty much universal for those that have seen the planet from that height. And I would say it probably goes, for most of the case for guys who have seen the planet from 70,000 feet as well. Yeah. Uh, it kind of changes your perspective on, you know, the planet we live on, you know, and, and really just, you know, that you see, you feel a little bit closer to where, where you live. So, so improving you as a person, you know, um, so I think that definitely would fit with that kind of thing. Yeah. And not, and not that, not that Ross are higher people who should be uh, telling everybody else how to be a better person. But yeah. I think if we all, if we take a little bit of what everybody says and combine it into our own little world, it's amazing how much improvement that we can make within ourselves at times. I know uh, I have my uh, daily 
missions that I have to accomplish to do that. But uh, I think I'm better yesterday or better today than I was yesterday. So I think uh, the overview effect by Frank White might help with that a little bit. And I love that idea of perspective shift. Um, yeah. I think I, I try to incorporate that daily into my life. I really do. That is something that uh, I, I, I look, you know, I, I've spent more time looking out the window more often while I'm flying uh, as opposed to looking at everything else. Cause uh, it, it gives me a, a, a sense of, yeah, some things are different than what uh, they appear in uh, in everything else that is blasted in your face these days. And I try to share that with as many people as I can who don't have that experience. So yeah, uh, something that you have told uh, that number two memory item number two, something that you have told uh, the just starting out Ross uh, that is a must do. Um, so I I kind of thought about this, and uh, I think one of the biggest things, and I still struggle with it today, is uh, is you need to stop and enjoy where you're at right now, mm-hmm. you know, and Amen. that, yeah. And that, I mean, you know, necessarily where physically, but where you're at in your life right now. Um, and don't, and don't always be looking across the horizon to where you hope to be or where you know you're going soon and miss what you're doing now. Um, you know, I, I, I have three kids and, you know, I, I know, you know, uh, and you have a small kid as well, right? Uh, mm-hmm. that, one on the way uh, too, yeah. And one on the way, yeah. Oh, that's crazy, yeah. So, and, and, and I know the feeling, you know, any, any parent can sympathize with this where, you know, you got a small kid that's two or three or whatever, and you're like, thinking like, well, you know, when they're five and when they're seven, when they're eight, like, it's going to be so much better because they're going to know how to do that, you know? And, you know, and, and you end up, you're always kind of looking forward to what things are going to be and you mm-hmm. kind of miss out exactly what, what you're going through right there. I cannot agree more. I've actually stopped doing, I, uh, I have stopped doing that with my daughter, uh, a hundred percent. And I enjoy, I, I tell her, I'm like, Hey, you got to stop growing up because dad enjoys this too much. And, uh, I don't even take it day by day. It's more of a, just, I say, I, 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 um, I, I watch her more than anything else instead yeah. of correct her, you know? And I mean, that's kids. And, and there's a lot of people who don't have kids out there and don't even, care to hear this discussion, but I think it helps and applies to everybody. I could not agree with you more. Enjoy where you're at now. Always don't always be looking at what's next. Cause, um, especially in our cool job, like enjoy yeah. it, man. Like, yeah, there's days where I'm sitting at the hotel in Amsterdam or whatever, where I'm just like, now nah, I got stuff to do and, and I don't, uh, I don't enjoy it, but I routinely tell myself, okay, you're today, you're going to work on something, a project or whatever while you're on the road. So you don't get to enjoy it. But, uh, at least I'm thinking about it. And that to yeah. me, that's helped me. That's helped my mindset just a lot too with life in general with this job. All right. Number three, what was the most helpful advice you've ever received? This is my favorite one, by the way. Um, so there's always a waiver. Yes. Uh, so, and, and I think most, at least most Air Force, probably most military guys can, can relate to that. Um, but that it's, uh, you know, in, in the, the big picture of it is that you don't ever count yourself out, of, you know, don't ever count out, you know, this potential job, this potential opportunity, uh, you know, it's not too old. Like you said, you know, the pilot who was, you know, thought he was too old for a private and all that kind of stuff. It, it's the same, you know, it should be a mentality that like, you know, there is a way for me to, if, if, if I want to do this, I want to go down this road, there's a way. And generally, you know, Generally, it's going to be, uh, it, it might, you might have to 
go through several different iterations of finding the right person. Um, you know, don't let, you know, it's like in school, I, it, I would tell people an example. When I was in school, a uh, small rural town in North Carolina, uh, and I said I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy, the guidance counselor is like, uh, people don't go there from here. That's, that's not even possible. It's like, yeah. But then I found people who had gone, you know, and yeah, there was not many people in my town, but people outside, you know, and, um, you know, a lot of times just, you know, you don't give up, you keep, keep finding and then go to the next person. So you don't, you don't like that answer, go, go on. And eventually you're probably gonna find someone's like, Oh yeah, you can write up. You can, there's a waiver for that. There is always a waiver. I could not agree more. Number four. And finally, and I think this one sums up everything that we talked about pretty perfectly. What's your own memory item, your own thing that you want to pass on something that I didn't preload for you. <laughs> Um, the, uh, so that the little, the little thing that, and this kind of comes to a lot of the stuff I've talked about and, um, and it basically is in three words. So create, improve and seek. So, uh, so, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, you, you make the podcast, I enjoy, enjoy doing the photography. There's, there's something that pretty much any of us can figure out that we can do to create. We're, we're a society, we get kind of, I think once we stop being kids, we kind of get lulled into this. Uh, now you got to, now you're a consumer. You, mm-hmm. you go out there and you, uh, you consume items from the stores. You consume media that comes across your, you know, Apple TV. Uh, and, and you, and, and it's, it's easy because it's all, it's spoon fed you literally in some cases, you know, but mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, it's, you have to actually take the time sometimes to stop and, and actually do something that involves creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and most people, you probably have an idea of what your own individual thing is uh, for that. Like, you know, I, I enjoy the photography, but also enjoy making videos from videos or putting the photos in to make a video and stuff like that. And uh, it, it's funny, one of the criticism, and I, I would say I've gotten this, several times, you know, when I would show a new video I made at the squadron, some flying stuff. And without fail, somebody was there was going, yeah, must be nice to have that much time on your hands. And, uh, you know, and, and they probably the night before had watched, you know, uh, you know, the couple seasons of Game of Thrones or whatever. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, but since I actually took the time to make something new that no one had ever seen, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, I, you get a little bit of criticism for it. Cause it's just not something we're tuned, attuned to in, yeah. in our society. And I, and I think that even if you just do something for yourself, you know, it doesn't have to be for the world, for the internet, you know, uh, it, you know, and I'm sure the science backs it up. You're going to, you're going to help your, yourself, you know, even if you're a total math scientist guy, you know, it's why they're trying to get art into the STEM stuff now, because they realize it has all these benefits when you actually create. Yeah, absolutely. Outside. Steam. Steam, Steam instead of STEM. Steam is some new thing, yeah. Steam um, heat, baby. So that was a long way uh, on that. So so create. So improve. I, um, so this is kind of a, a personal thing. You know, it's like I, I'm always wanting to try to improve myself somehow, whether it's, in, you know, improving a photography technique, improving my, you know, my flying, you know, getting into a new job and, you know, you know, obviously devote most of my time to learning a whole new job recently. I want to, you know, get in, improve myself on that. Um, most of my last four to five years, I've been an instructor and, you know, I, you know, 
although I'm never stopping the improving myself game on that. Now it's, you know, when I'm at, when I'm at the top of my game, I want to use my abilities to help improve others. So, so you're, you're always improving, um, you know, the best leaders are the ones who don't go out there and tell you they're the best or show you they're the best. They're the ones that go out there and make everyone else better with them. Um, so, um, so improve yourself, improve others around you. Uh, and then the last one is seek. So create, improve, seek. So always kind of seek out those new opportunities. Um, don't rely on others to give you the opportunities. Sometimes you can go out there and make your own one, think outside the box. Um, and I was kind of, I use the example, you know, in, in my career, I, uh, I've had a lot of good assignments and I won't take anything away from, you know, the, the timing of that, those good timing, things like that, uh, that really helped out. But, you know, for example, when I'm out at Ramstein, I had an assignment to see 17s going on and I saw this opportunity arise to do something else. That's something I'd never even thought about. Um, I, I jumped on that opportunity. And, you know, and it got me to do things I never would have thought possible. Um, the, uh, you know, in, w- once I was flying the U2, I was kind of stuck in a rut deploying and all that. And, and mm-hmm. eventually I kind of got tired. I'm like, like, I'd like to kind of go do a staff job, maybe to get out of flying just for a little bit. I know that's blasphemy. Most people never say that, but <laughs> I would, I've been doing it, you know, five, six years. I'm like, all right, I, I just, I want to go do something. And they say, probably not going to happen. So I, I looked, took another avenue and said, okay, I'm going to go, uh, can I go over to Korea and spend a year in Korea permanently stationed over there? And that was kind of my springboard to get away from the, what they call the black hole at Beale. Uh, and suddenly I, I was able to start working other assignments. Yeah, sure. I found myself, you know, I, now I pressed very hard and got it, but got, you know, three years in Hawaii. Um, you know, so, you know, a lot of people look at it like, you're lucky you've had Ramstein, you've had Hawaii, um, but a lot of that's been me seeking out those opportunities and pursuing them and not going, not having someone go, here's your, here's the two things you can possibly do. You know, I want to be like, okay, I see that. But what about this third or fourth option over here? Yeah. I'll raise you. I'll raise, I'll I'll raise your uh, two or three with four or five. Yeah. See what I come up with. Couldn't agree more. I did the same thing. So I think create, improve and seek. And I think that last one seek uh, and improve too. uh, Hopefully all the networkers listening to this and the other folks who are out there can use TPN to help that uh, with more than just finding the job because there's so much more after you get the job. Ross is a perfect example. He's got it now and there's, he's just learning the other side of the house and there's, yeah, you know, as well as I do, we, we don't have to get into it, but there's a lot, especially that first year. And yeah. I think uh, we'll kind of, we're going to close a little bit on that note, uh, but I want to go open the floor up for one or last of anything else that you want to add uh, of course, uh, where they can find you, how they can reach you, uh, because I hopefully uh, this will be a springboard to really uh, take uh, uh, extreme Roth photography up to the next level, um, maybe far beyond seventy thousand feet, and uh, and and, and comp- blank the world with some really cool yes. uh, aviation inspired photography, space inspired photography as well. Space, yes, yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, so I alluded to it before. Um, but uh, it's uh, um, SmugMug is Extreme Ross Photography. So again, you should be able to just Google that. Uh, if you add SmugMug in, it should bring up the site. Okay. Um, but uh, the, uh, the actual website as well, it's going to be extremerossphotography.smugmug.com. Okay. Um, that, that should take you to the site. 
um, on that. There's a way uh, you can actually email me straight from that site. It goes to uh, photography at gmail.com. Um, so you can contact me directly through that. I've had a lot of guys do that. A lot of guys message me directly through Facebook as well. Um, if you go on uh, to uh, Facebook, just just search Extreme Ross Photography. You should see the group, Extreme Ross Photography group come up, and you can just click join on that. Um, I haven't found a reason to not let anybody join that yet. So, um, But uh, it's up, you know, several thousand people right now, so hopefully we can get, get some more up to that. Um, and then I'm, you know, I'm going to, Hopefully do a little bit more. I've been posting on it some, but hopefully I'll be posting kind of regularly on that. Um, I still have a you know a lot of uh, a lot of material I've never actually edited and done anything with from from my my uh, days in the YouTube. Um, you know, the one thing I was kind of concerned about with this was once I get out of the YouTube, am I ever going to get good material again? And well, I know I'm not going to get anything you know like you know me in a spacesuit in front of the Northern Lights. Um, you know, I, to me, I, you know, I still want to improve my photography um, and, you know, and eventually just, you know, not be recognized as just this good YouTube photographer, but just a good photographer in general. And hopefully have yeah. some, some more things, you know, and I have a lot of ideas on that. Um, there's things I want to, I want to write, like I said, a couple, uh, you know, there's, there's always things bounce around in my head as far as videos to make screenplays to write uh, and uh, you know there's books I want to write and well, just some some of them just on you know different experiences I've had in chat well, that, that sounds like a creating and improving and seeking uh, worthwhile <laughs> life and I <laughs> yeah well we I think the network uh, I know me personally I can't wait to follow more of everything uh, everything you're gonna do going forward and we are here to support that uh, again uh, easiest way to get a hold of Ross and, and take a look at what he's got. It's just Google uh, Extreme Ross Photography. Uh, we'll probably throw a lot of that up in the show notes uh, if we uh, if we can get all the links in there and then his okay. email address and all that good stuff too for those of you who have the capability to look through that. Uh, otherwise, just a simple Google search will get you what you want, but we'll link everything in the show notes uh, as, as deemed appropriate. And for those of you out there trying to get a hold of Matt or I, you can hit us up at heyguys at thepilotnetwork.org or reach out to us through our The Pilot Network Facebook page inbox. In fact, we've had a couple of interesting people write in lately uh, talking about some of the more controversial discussions that have happened on The Pilot Network. And I want to take an opportunity real quick to uh, address that uh, and just say we love having everybody converse and talk. And remember out there, if you're writing on a social media platform, that even though I administrate very tightly, there are people that are watching your every move out there. And if you post something on a group and they search you out, they can find you and look at what you're writing. And if you're looking for a really nice job at a really nice airline or a nice corporate gig, and they have somebody find stuff that you are being a little bit more boisterous about than they deem fit for their organization, they may not hire you. So uh, take that as a whatever you want to take that as um, and, and, and run with it. But again, hey guys at pilotnetwork.org or on the Facebook page, The Pilot Network, shoot us a message. And those are the fastest two ways to get a hold of Matt or I will respond as we get them. Sometimes we take a couple of days off because we're out on the road, we're hanging with the family, we're trying to better the network and communications are not our 
utmost priority. They normally are, but every now and again, they fall to second place. So again, thanks for listening. Uh, we love having a podcast and we want to do a lot more of them. And the best way we're going to be able to do more of them is more people support the network. You can go on the Patreon account, uh, patreon.org, uh, and you can type in uh, the Pilot Network. Uh, for those of you out there on the road, fly safe. For those of you at home, enjoy your time off. And always remember to please keep the bright, shiny side up and the greasy side down. Until next time, see you later.